Hello and welcome to the Daily Lawyer podcast. This is yet another episode in our careers in the law series. And today we're going to be speaking about something very niche, but uh, very relevant to the times that we are living in. And that is immigration law. Uh, in the course of this episode, we're not only going to be speaking about immigration in the sense inbound and outbound immigrations, but we're also going to learn a few tips and tricks uh, for things like in case you want to send your child, uh, to study abroad or you yourself want to study abroad and you want to do some kind of financial planning for that uh, or you want to do some global financial planning uh, then you know what are the rules and what are the tips and tricks that you you can uh, understand to do that and to discuss all of this we have a very experienced guest joining us today i'm speaking about mr prashant ajmera who is an indian immigration lawyer and he's been uh, into immigration law for over 25 years now so a really, really long time, and he's seen quite a variety of uh, changes in regulations, opening up of borders, and so on. So I can't wait to dive into this conversation. A uh, little more about Prashanji. Mr. Prashant Ajmera is an Indian immigration lawyer, an NRI, and a Canadian citizen with more than 25 years experience in the field of corporate and migration law and international trade. He assists HNIs and ultra HNIs in making investments outside of India in real estate, stock markets, businesses, and a second passport. Over the years, he's authored a number of articles for various media and publications. He's also an author of two books, respectively, on business immigration by investing in residency and higher education of a child abroad. Thank you so much, Prashanji, for joining us today. I'm so excited to have you, and I can't wait uh, to delve into this very, very new topic for me, and I'm sure for most of our audience here, uh, and learn something at the end of this one hour. Prashanji, welcome to the TDL podcast. I'm so happy that you, uh, you agreed to come on the podcast, especially because immigration law is something I don't know anything about, and I think most, uh, most of the audience here and most other people also don't really know anything about immigration law and and now I think it's getting more and more popular as a lot of people want to either go out of India or come back to India with different citizenships and all that so I can't wait to get into this conversation but before we actually get into the meat of the conversation I, I'm really curious to know your entire journey till today in the last whatever three decades of practicing sure. law so okay. can you start from the beginning how did you okay. get into law school so I'll tell you just like any other kids when I was in the school and when I was doing uh, my, say, let's start from there. My parents were forcing me that you become a doctor or an engineer, which I didn't become. They forced me to become a chartered accountant. I was not good at it. My father and grandfathers both are lawyers. And I ended up becoming a lawyer. So my father says ultimately that, Beta, kuch bhi nahi kar sakta hai, to law degree le le, meri office to lega. So that happens and I become a lawyer in 1984, got my law degree. But at that time also, just like any young kids, I had always a dream of going out of India. And one thing which bothered me, though I never faced it, was the corruption in my head, in my mind. That a corrupt system, I want to stay out of the country. But I could not go in 1984 anywhere. So 84 to 89, I practiced as a lawyer in Gujarat High Court with my uncle. And I was doing fairly well. I won't say I was very successful. So I argued a few cases and my specialization was becoming... Uh, the labor law, particularly the cases for the teachers, the secondary, primary, secondary teachers and professors, because there was a special tribunal was established. So that's how I got exposed to the law five, six years. 
1988, the few lawyers, three lawyer friends, wanted to take a trip to Europe by train. We planned that trip, uh, but ultimately at the end of the day, they all dropped out and I was the only one left. So I took the trip for a, uh, this was just, I was finishing my 26 years and I took a trip 30 days uh, Europe by train. So Dilto uh, Pagale, all those things came after DDLJ came afterwards. I've already done that, but I didn't meet any girl there anyway. <laughs> uh, and then I ended up uh, being uh, in the UK with my father's uh, friend there. And he says, Prashant, while you are here, why don't you study something here? So that's how I ended up uh, taking up, a, become a company secretary in UK because I had a low background. So I was contemplating that whether I should become a chartered accountant or a company secretary. And I took up a course in company secretaries. I, I have a now double company secretary degree from England. And once I finished that one in 1993, uh, um, uh, 88 to 93, I was in England, finished my degrees and everything. So obviously the family was pressurizing to get married. And I was thinking that how can I stay out of the country? And that's where I made in a contact with this law firm, Brownstein, Brownstein and Associates in England. I went to see them as a client that I would like to immigrate to Canada. And uh, that was the year, just one year before the Canada immigrations opened up the doors for the foreigners. October 1993, and I approached them in just before, few months before that. And they said that, uh, Prashant, as a lawyer, you are not on a demand occupation list, but as a law firm, if we offer you a job as a clerk or as an assistant lawyer, because you don't have a Canadian license, you cannot practice, but this is what it can work and you can get an immigration. So that same law firm offered me a job and uh, they sponsored me and I got my immigration in 1994, or 1995 beginning. And I moved to Canada with me and my wife and my daughter uh, who was uh, one year old to Canada. And straight away I ended up in their office. But while I was waiting in India in 94, I launched the Canada immigration practice with the help of that law firm there, that there is a new immigration rules and regulations are there. So how you can immigrate. So the what you see express entry today, I launched it in India in May, 1994. And that's how my journey started. That's so before amazing. I moved to Canada, I already had, a, you can say, 10 clients with me who wanted to immigrate to Canada as well at that time. So that practice and everything was thriving and everything was happening. And then basically immigration, I got very much interested and started looking into it. But I was also a member of the International Bar Associations. And they have a special committee called, the section called the uh, Nationality, Immigration and Nationality Committee. So I become a member of that one and I started attending the different conferences. So I've attended conference in America. I've attended conference in uh, USA, in Cancun, Mexico, different places I've attended. And that basically created a network of immigration lawyer for me around the world. So now if you say that, uh, Prashant, I need an immigration lawyer in this country, I will have a contact or I will have it. So basically because of this immigration law, the nature is such. And the, because I was attending this conference, I think it gave me an age 
to create this one. And when you go to this conference, it's generally five days conference. It's a, a lawyers coming, 3,000 lawyer comes from all over the world every year. And if you somebody is interested in developing an immigration, I mean, the international practice, this is a right forum. What IBA. is the name of the conference? IBA. Oh, IBA conference, okay. I IBA. But people do not understand it and they do not see that how to do it. Like if you know the, like a lawyer like Dushan Dawes and uh, Lalit Basin, all these lawyers, I have met them in this IBA conference. At that time, I was a very junior lawyer and obviously the kind of things what they've achieved in Indian judicial systems, I'm nothing. But I had an opportunity to meet all these lawyers there because in that conference, very limited number of lawyers were coming from India. Because, you know, uh, again, our judiciary is that you cannot promote, you cannot advertise and so and so forth at the time. So that's basically, I got interested into the other immigration law and started practicing. But when I was in Canada, I was concentrating uh, more on Canadian. But when I came to in India, then our practice became diversified into the Canadian law, immigration, uh, US immigrations, you name it and then have it. So in 2013, I saw the RBI publications in the press note that now the LRS, liberalized remittance scheme is increased to 250,000 US dollar per year. And that was the year I was contemplating because my father was no more there. So I was contemplating that I should go back to Canada or not. And when I saw this one, then I decided that, okay, we're going to stay here and develop these practice of immigrations, particularly into the residency and citizenship by investment. And that's where we started the EB-5 visas. And you see the book at the back of me, Millionaires on the Move. That was the first book we published on residency and citizenship by investment, uh, talking about 23, uh, about 2025 countries, uh, rules and regulations in a very simple term for a layman. <clears throat> And then what I saw when I published this book and I started attending conference and so many things I've done it, uh, I started realizing it that the parents are coming and asking me one question, which is very important. Sir, we are very happy. We are very well to do. Whether the person is worth five crores or he's worth 5,000 crores, I have met all kinds of clients. They will come and tell me we are doing it for our children. So that basically started giving me and my wife, well, she's not a lawyer, but works with me as my assistant, you can say legal assistant or a paralegal, and she's good at writing. And she said that, Prashant, we should publish another book. And that's where we got into this COVID time. There was nothing to do. So in June 2000, we published the second book, How to Plan for Your Child's Foreign Education. And and that book is becoming a popular amongst the parents and children and everybody that they realize that, yes, this is the way to look at it. And then we have to look, read this book and get a 360 degree views and what we should do it. There's only not a one way to go, like from Ahmedabad to Bombay. It's, there are several ways to travel. You choose as per your circumstances, finances and so and so. So you can't say that I'll go by car only or I'll run to Mumbai, right? So similarly, so that's the book he's talking about. Again, it's in a very layman's language. It's available on Flipkart, uh, uh, on uh, Amazon, Google. Uh, E-copy is available as well. And basically we do it as a promotions and giving out to the people to get them a right information. And idea is that make a right decisions. You can make a decision not to go or to go, but make an informed decisions. And that's the uh, 
Uh, that's the whole idea of that one. And that's basically the, where the, my practice is now evolving that uh, basically now I have diverted more towards not the product pushing, but the counseling first. That if you come to me as a, as a student or as a professional or as a family, then let me understand your whole perspective. Let me understand what you intend to do it, what you want to achieve, what are your finances. And then we give them a whole advice. Unlike the other consultant and agent, they say, okay, USA Jana, fill up these forms. We select five college to you or university to you. Go there and you figure it out. No, we don't do that one. So we truly try to do in international marketplace uh, career counseling for the children, for the families. Now, even Jana, you'll be surprised. I've been approached by the family offices, charter accountants and financial planners. Wow. Huh. They are calling me and they have appointed me as their full-time advisors that on this aspect of the children's foreign education settlements, could you advise our parents? Makes a because, lot of sense. Yeah. Because people started getting the bad, <clears throat> you can say, experience from different things going abroad. And still it is a, like a kind of a, you can say, unchanted territories. And people always look at it that, I mean, hope I'm not cheated. Hope I'm not cheated. You know, that's the feeling everybody has it. I would say there is a problem on both sides. The problem is on the legal fraternity because in India, the legal fraternity law means litigations arguing the court, case before the court. But if you look at the country outside India, they are more lawyers are being available or providing a services before you go to the court. The counseling and advisor is a lot of work is being done. Whereas in India, the problem is on the uh, client side as well. problem Why we have to consult a lawyer and pay them? So, you know, the lawyers also say that let him get into the more trouble. I can charge him more fees. You know, that's the kind of a mentality we have it here. And that's where I think we are having a problem. Otherwise, in this industry, this is the only country in India where we have a highest number of migrants, students, professionals, businessmen, and even now corporates are going out. But there are not even a 10 immigration lawyers in this country. Yeah, it's unbelievable. When you told me this earlier, I couldn't believe it. And, and I, in a way, I can't believe it because nobody in my circle is an immigration lawyer. In fact, I was so excited to get correct with you. Right. And, and you'll be, I'll give you the exact data from the RBI that how big is this industry? From the RBI data, if you look at the latest one in the last year, even though it's a COVID time, the Indian parents remitted 10 billion US dollars for children's foreign education. Okay. But as a lawyer, what we are together that is the job of an agent and a consultant. No. Admission could be a job of an agent or a consultant, but when it comes to the visa, doing the student visa applications, doing your visitor visa applications or anything, that's the job of a lawyer. But as we do not take the interest in that industry or that subject as a lawyer, the demand is there so somebody else will provide that service. So if you look at the if you look at the judgment of the March 1918 by the Supreme Court, where the Bar Council was the petitioners 
and the foreign lawyers wanted to set up an office here, they said categorically under the uh, Advocates Act Section 29 that only Indian lawyers can practice law in India, even if it is a foreign law. The idea is twofold. Okay, somebody will come and say that as an Indian lawyer, what Jena Krishna knows about the U.S. immigrations? Okay, no, I agree. But as a consumer, when you are in India or a client, the if the Jena doesn't provide a good services, whom do I sue? Or whom do I make a complaint against? Correct. Jena, because she is regulated by the Bar Council of Maharashtra or of Mumbai. Whereas the U.S. immigrations, I cannot do it. So the concept behind this one is that Jena can set up a relationship with the immigration lawyers in a foreign country and provide a service to their client here in India. And that's what these agents are doing it. So, but we do not take an interest into that one that that is the job of an agent and a consultant. So obviously it's going to happen. Like if you, I will give you another analogy. Before we had an orthopedic surgeon, we were used to go to the hard way. Now, do you go to a hardware if you have a fracture? We don't. So we go to an orthopedic surgeon. Similarly, the immigration and visa is a practice. You will be surprised, I'll tell you these things. Canada, Australia, and New Zealand, they have an online course to become a licensed consultant in immigrations, except one or two lawyers. Only non-lawyer has taken their exams and are practicing in India. Oh, God. So basically, there's a huge scope for Indian lawyers. Absolutely. I would love to start a course or a program yes. where we can train these young lawyers yes. in a law firm, I mean, in a law faculty yeah. and give them an idea about yeah. this one, what it is about. And you start with the one country and develop your practice. And the second things we need to do is either we get this immigration consultant and agents regulated or stop them. You can advise on this admission part, but not on the not visa on law. the law. law law yeah. That's our domain. Yes, that's our domain. Even I thought of doing even a class actions in PIA. Huh. That which I have written it to so many times to Bar Council of in India, that in in view of the judgment which I just mentioned to you that why you are not taking action against these people. Hmm. Variety of peoples are there. Who? Hmm. All these foreign governments who has appointed non-lawyers as the visa consultant and advisors. Yeah. Why not lawyers? Yeah. Foreign lawyers are coming here and opening their immigration offices. Why not with Jana Krishnan? Yeah. Correct. And immigration, when we see openly in the parliament, the question was asked that how many immigration frauds are happening in parliament. It is said that every day, Ministry of External Affairs receives two complaints about the immigration fraud or unsatisfactory services. Oh my God. The, whatever coming in the news, newspaper, medias, and going to the police station and find a data, it is many, many false. I'll go further. The, one of the Ministry of External Affairs ministers, who unfortunately passed away, she was a lawyer. The, uh, what's her name? Uh, Shushma Swarajji. Right? You know that she was a martial lawyer. She understood this one from a one incident. If you remember the four years back, there was a group of 
Indian students were caught and were likely to be deported and she rescued them. So she did an investigation on that. And based on that investigation, she realized that because of the unlicensed agents and consultants in India, these students were badly advised and that's why they are in the soup. So he asked their ministry to regulate the immigration consultant. There is an act of the 1983 called Migration Act of 1983 to regulate the immigration, uh, the recruitment agents in India. That was implemented by the government of India again in those days between 1975 and 80. There were a lot of scams about people going to Dubai and UAE and all those countries where people were going for a job. And you know, we had a couple of movies as well on that aspect and this one. So that law was particularly brought in to regulate the agents and that if you want to recruit, you have to be licensed by the Ministry of External Affairs. It used to be Ministry of Labor. Now it's the Ministry of External Affairs. They're doing it. The Shusma Swaraj implement, ready to implement a law to regulate the student visa consultant. She unfortunately passed away. Then we had an elections. Then we had a COVID. And surprise, surprise, now they revised that act of 2021 the student visa consultant portion is out of the act. Oh, what? Because I'm sure that people must have gone to them, represented to them, to the Ministry of Health, and they've taken it out. A $10 billion industry, you people can open up immigration consultancy and visa services at any time. It can put the life of our Indian citizens and the students in jeopardy, and you do not wish to regulate? You're asking really hard questions, but just to give a little bit of context to our um, listeners, can you explain, assuming that whoever is listening has no idea what is immigration law, uh, can you explain it? Can you explain what is immigration right. law? So, okay, let me just define some simple terms. Everybody heard about the passports. Okay. So passport is given to you and your national identity. It doesn't establish your citizenship, but it establishes that if I'm holding an Indian passport, I am a citizen of India. And that's why I have it. And that allows me to travel out of the country on that one. But when I'm traveling to the other country, then I need a visa. So that visa, I apply to the consulates and I'm getting a visa to say Canada, USA, Dubai, wherever I'm going, I'm going. So those are the student visas, work permits, and these visitor visas or business visas are known as a non-immigrant visa. That means you make an application to them and you always have to show that your intention is not to come back. That means your intention is to come back to your home country and you're not going to be permanent. So that's the basic aspect. Similarly, in India, also we have an Indian High Commission across the world where we have a visitor visas, we have a work visa regulations, we have the uh, business immigration visa as well in India. And you do need to make that applications if you want to visit Canada, uh, visit India, if you want to come and work here, if you want to establish a business here. Unfortunately, these rules, Indian rules are not combined into a one act, but it's over the period of time, it's a different, different notifications. So it's very difficult for people, the lawyers in India, to get a hold of this one and understand. Now, because of the internet, it becomes a little bit of easier to do it. So now you have a uh, Indian Citizenship Act 1955, 
which is updated over the period of times and so and so forth. So that one act is there for Indian citizenship. Underneath, there are regulations and notifications are there that how can you come here for how long you can stay here. And all these informations are available on Ministry of External Affairs websites free of charge. You can read these ones and follow through this one and how it works. Unlike the other countries within India, we do not have an immigration offices. But the authority and power is given to the Foreign Registrar's Office or FRRO office where if you are a foreigner and coming to an India and want to get your visa extended or anything happens, you go to that office and get your visa extended. So that's how the infrastructure works. And FRRO office is there almost in every, every state in India. Generally, is with the police commissioner's office. So within the police commissioner's office, they've created a separate sections, which they call it an immig immigration joint commissioner of police. Police, that's how they've created it for those people who are visiting for a short period of time, they want to get it extended or they want to change their visas and so and so forth. But to me, it looks like that within a short period of time, Indian government is going to come up with a more codified law of putting all these things together and become a more transparent and law would be required. But yes, the requirement of the immigration law is there in India as well, inbound because more and more people are coming. And the government is also becoming, Indian government is becoming very, very organized in this manner, whereby now it's everything is available electronically, you can apply online as well, you can get your visa, all those things, but people do need a time to time help with the inbound visa as well, particularly foreign companies, when they are coming to an India, they need a visa for their employees to come here and how do we do it, what do we get it. So even within that immigrations, there is a scope for the Indian lawyers to get into that practice. But first you should have a, like if you want to practice the human rights law, try to understand the constitution of one country, which in our case in India. And then let's venture into the constitution of other countries and do a comparative analysis. In my case, I did it an understanding of the Canadian immigration first, and then I ventured out into the immigration law of different countries. So the fundamental remains the same, but it starts giving you an idea because it's a half law and half procedural law, right? So similarly, if somebody wants to start, these are the things. Okay, now coming to the answering your question specifically. So this is the non-immigrant visas. Then if you go further, then you have a permanent residency. That means you are still holding an Indian passport, but you have a permanent resident visa of another country, which could be like a Dubai. Most of the Indians living in Dubai or UAE areas are holding an Indian passport even after 30, 40 years, but they are a resident of Dubai. Then the residency converts into citizenships. And under that citizenship, be basically like a person like me, who used to hold an Indian passport, now become a Canadian citizen. So our constitution doesn't allow the dual citizenship. So I surrender my Indian passport and become a Canadian citizen. Once I become a Canadian citizen, then now since 2009-10, the government of India has allowed the OCI card. So overseas citizen of an India. So again, going back to the immigration, uh, the section 7B of the Citizenship Act, there are certain things which as an OCI, I cannot do it. So basically political positions, judges, government positions, I cannot take it, but we have been given all the rights including right to practice back here in India, even though I'm a Canadian citizen. So there is a notification by the government of India as well, and they've given an exemptions 
that the OCI cardholder, like people like us, who used to be an Indian citizens, but now become foreign citizens, and if they have settled in certain countries, they are entitled to the overseas citizen OCI card, and you can. Now, under the OCI card also, there is a good amount of practices there. People are interested, and they find face some some problems are there, and that those practices can be done as well. But as the again, the lawyers do not take interest into this one. It goes in the hand of the agent and consultant. So that's the immigration practice here, what we have it. And if, if I talk about the, the way in which the history started in India with the immigration practice, if you go back to the 60 years back, it used to be going to America for a master's degree. And that's what the concept people came in, in minds over the period of time doing that one. Then came the 1993 when I started the practice where the Canada, Australia and New Zealand in subsequent years opened up their door. And that door was for the purpose of the permanent immigrations. They call it a skilled migrations, open immigration policy. What do I mean by that? That means that before that time, or even up today, except these three countries, if you want to go abroad and work and settle, you need a company to sponsor you to do that one. Whereas these three countries has an open migration policy, that means if you have a necessary qualifications, if you're good in English, if you have a necessary work experience, if your occupation is in demand, you can make a direct applications for permanent immigration to Canada or Australia or New Zealand. And that immigration practice remained since uh, uh, 1993 till 2008-10. Now, when this migration practice become more and more complicated, and the demand started increasing worldwide, the bar gone up, particularly the requirement of the English language requirement increased, the IELTS exam increased, and all these immigration consultants in India were basically, you can say, uh, unemployed. And that's where they started pushing more about the student visas. And the student visas, the whole network is that they are basically a marketing or a commission agents on behalf of the education and institutes. So their interest is not to give you an advice, but get you an admission so they can own the commission. That's how the whole industry works. And now you see the every place in the Bombay or Ahmedabad or any city you go in, then tier two or tier three cities, immigration visa consultants, IELTS talks and PT exams and TOEFL and GRE and GMAT. And in 10, 12 years time, the brainwash done by this industry or this consultant is so much that the people of your generation believe that the only way to go abroad is by study abroad. And that is completely wrong, completely wrong. Every occupation, every professions need to look at it that how I'm going to get it. You cannot say you get married to a beautiful girl doesn't mean that your married life is going to be happy. Right? You have to work on that one. You have to understand on that one. Similarly, if you say that, okay, I take a degree from USA or Canada, everybody is enjoying the life here. Once the person reaches in USA, then he realizes that, uh oh, we made a mistake. Why? Tell you the real fact for the USA. Now, as of today, the one of the biggest mistakes the parents and students can make is sending their child to America for a study. Why? Why do you say, yeah, why do you say? Why? 
because the since 1988 the green card quota for the indian uh, for the international student is only 120000 it hasn't changed in the last 20 34 years okay the number of students going from all over the world has increased many fold so if you go today it will take you anything between 15 to 20 years to get your green card because you will go say for example you going for a bachelor's degree or a master's degree and if you go for a bachelor's degree or a master's degree then after that you get your opt optional practical training then you go for your h1 visas and everybody is happy now that family and that child only knows that now i need a company to sponsor me to get my green card right now getting that sponsorship is also fine let's say for example you are lucky and you find a company or a law firm to sponsor you now once your petition is approved because of this limited quota it will take a 12 years to get your green card so as this, of now this is even in that uh, that phd category whatever that is eb1 or whatever any, any, see the, there are exception to this one that if you are a person of an extraordinary ability yeah. or you are a professional with a national interest waiver then it is current but let's make it 60000 60 lakhs people apply yeah, for iim how many get into that so if you have a worldwide quota of 120000 only 7% is given to indian which is 8400 per year for whole whole india now number of students going from here is in lakhs so do you think that everybody is caliber of the national interest waiver will make it into that category no there are world brains are coming it's like a, you could be a number 1 in your class in your school when you go at the bombay levels you are number 10 when you go at the maharashtra level you are number 25 when you go at the national levels you are number 100 so you are go at the international level probably you are number 1000 so that's the reason the people do not understand and everybody celebrates that oh my son is in america etc but they nobody comes and tell you that okay he is going to take him 15 20 years to get a green card they all will say yeah my son is well settled in america but he only knows internally and son only knows that this is the problem so what are the options or what we should do it that's where we come and advise that think about it what you are doing it and how you doing it whether you want to change the countries whether you want to look at the residency and citizenship by investment whether forget about that one do something else so variety of advice we provide them and give them a pictures and say okay now go back home take a deep breath have a family discussions and come back to us and if you are interested then definitely we'll do it so that's how we do it and that's very important for a people and parents to understand that if you are sending your children for a abroad for a higher studies why not yeah go ahead please so you've actually answered in that one answer some three questions that are listed because uh, but what everything that you said is very uh, very correct and i think something that we have not thought of because i started also in the us i went abroad to do my masters Uh, but then i went uh, as on a sabbatical uh, 
from a, a job that I was in, although I was not, they didn't pay for this, uh, the degree, I paid for it myself. And when you were telling about, you know, uh, figuring out your finances, we didn't, I haven't spoken to a lawyer at all. Like it did not even enter my scheme of thinking. At that point in times, you and your family been in a dream of that one, the life is set. Yeah, yeah. And we didn't even bother. You right, know, exactly, like, exactly. and you know, the year that I went, uh, when I went, the dollar was 45 uh, rupees. That's 2008. Yeah. And no, uh, 2010. 10, 8, 10, yeah. 8, 10. Uh, but, but in six months, it became 54 rupees. So when you're paying your first term fees, it's 45 rupees. When you're paying your second term fees, it's 54 rupees. And you can imagine the burden on, on the family, on us. Yeah, because all your calculations are gone now. You know, it's gone through. And we, uh, I mean, uh, you know, the fee structure, especially in Ivy League schools and all that, it's all through the roof. You're not going to get any scholarships or anything that, like that. that. That's exactly what I'm advising now to yeah. the parents to do the financial plannings if you have yes. decided your child to study abroad. Then you have to think about financial planning as well and planning mm -hmm. globally. So yes. the latest uh, webinars and training, I do it with the financial advisories, the global financial planning for an Indian family. And the first question to ask is, do you want your children to study abroad? I'm not talking about the settlement. Study abroad. Yes, then you have to listen to us. But very useful. Now, when you say, uh, because you've said so many things, just so relevant, I'm going to pick up from where you said and like keep aside the questions that I said to you earlier. But when you say global financial planning, what is it that you mean? What do you right. mean by that? Okay. See, again, coming back to the LRS, the global financial planning, in your case, you went only at the point in time when you were ready to fly. And in six months, you were hit by the nine rupees difference of the currency exchange, right? If now, forget about yourself, but now if you are married, then if you have a child, then you want your child to study abroad, then I'll say, Jenna, you are probably, whatever you are earning, you are putting money aside, 10%, 20%. Now RBI allows you to do it. Why don't you start putting out of India and create a corpus in foreign currencies, which could be US dollars or sterling pounds or a euro, and create it so by the time your child is ready to go, not if possible, all the money or at least substantial amount of money is you bought it at today's 80 rate and not the 100 when your child is going to go for a study in the 10, 12 years down the road. So then you can make an investment into global stock markets, mutual funds, real estates. You can open up a bank account, then park the money. All these are the legal routes provided by the government of India under the RBI FEMA rules. And that is again our domain and we don't know about it and we are not using it. Right. So th this is all and that was the reason for me to stay back in India because I made a blunder in my life at 1990. In 1995, I came from in India, from Canada. We did a first EB-5 investment immigration seminar in Taj Hotel in Bombay. The Times of India picked up that article and made a half a page article out of that one on residency and citizenship by investment to USA and Canada. But 
I didn't do the homework at the time that what is the RBI rule to remit the money out of India. And obviously we have to stop because immediately we realized that there was no remittance allowed. But when I, in 2013, fast forward from 1995 to 2013, when I read that clipping, I said, here is my second inning, what I wanted to do about the residency and citizenship by investment and advising the people that how can you plan your global citizenship or global residency. And most of us are in the bracket of less than 20 crore rupees. And for them, the two, three crore rupees of a investment into an education for our children is very important. It needs to be done. If you are Amitabh Bachchan's or Ambani's or Birla's children's, two, three crore, five crore rupees doesn't make a sense to them. It's not even a 0.0001% of their wealth. But for average people, average HNIs who are into that bracket, they need it. I have met at least 10 financial advisors and consultants who said, who sent their children to America or Canada or foreign countries for a study. And they said, Mr. Ajmer, I wish you would have met us. They are financial advisors. And they said, wish you would have met us before we would have planned it in a different way. Because, you know, we don't, like you are saying, in fact, when you're in the US, of course, you will know this. When you're in the US and you're doing that H1B, you're trying to get your H1B, you're trying to get your OPT, they will put you in touch with the lawyers over there. So, even as a student, you're very used to like, you know, the uh, whether it is a lawyer that is affiliated with a college or to the to a potential employer that you're with, uh, you, you get in touch with a lawyer there and then, you know, you follow everything that that person says. But you never think of it of doing the same thing in India. No, for, for those lawyers, it's not a career counseling. Now you are already in America. You are hired by your company who is doing the H1 visas. And the lawyer says that, look, Whatever has to be done is done. My job is to legally advise you whether you will get an H1 or not to make sure that you get your H1. And after that, you get your OPTs. And if you are in that mess, I'll take you out of that one. Then I'll do it a green card for you and blah, 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 and everything and up to the citizenship. So you are with me for 20 years, my paid clients. Why should I advise otherwise? True. That's true. So uh, now it, it's definitely, I see how much scope is there in immigration law, especially in our country, because... There seem to be a great dearth of immigration lawyers. And I think it's time that we start creating a bar only for, for in this field. Sure. For, uh, for young lawyers who are listening or law students, what are some of the tips that you would, uh, or what will you tell them if they, want, they are seeking to create a career in immigration law? What would you tell them? How should they take their, uh, their studies and their study, internships, see, everything law, from law school? Uh, Jenna, anywhere in the world, immigration law is not taught in the law schools. So fundamentally, first, you have to have a good concept of the law itself, the understanding. That means you can read the any laws and at least make a sense out of the better than the average persons. How I become a average or good immigration lawyer is, I would say, it credit goes to my five years in high court. Because I was in high court reading the petitions, draftings, and the laws and judgments and everything, so when it came to an immigration law in this one, all those skills were become built up with me. That it helped me to put and understand these laws and everything's in a much better fashion than an agent or a consultant will do it. So that basic understanding of the law is there, then you are all good to go. But that understanding should be there about the laws. And if you have worked for a few years in these industries in a general practice, and then if you pick up this one, uh, the immigration law, 
And I would say that if you really want to make a career, at least start understanding the Indian immigration. So that will give you a perspective when you start comparing with the Canadian one or when you start comparing with the American ones or the Australia, New Zealand, uh, all those countries will give you and then tons of lawyers are there. I mean, so we are the only country where we don't have immigration lawyers. When I get approached by the uh, other professionals or immigration lawyers, he says, Prashant, do you have any immigration lawyers bar associations? I said, well, I'm the only one. And do you, uh, where do we go for this? Our We have a project in Portugal. To, uh, can we talk to a few immigration lawyers? I said, I'm the only one. The others are agents and consultants. They are not this one. And then these people, when they're coming from an abroad, the lawyers are not, Indian lawyers are not taking an interest into this one. They end up going to agent and consultant. And then it has become a kind of a taboo in our uh, country as well. Oh, yeah, this is the uh, yeah, the agent or a consultant. That's true. And that's how the people are taking it. Uh, I mean, in fact, uh, you know, when people ask for recommendations also in, in one of my groups recently, somebody asked, do you have the contact of any agent who will help do immigration to uh, a, a, one of the European countries? They ask only like that. They never yeah, think of... It, it, it has become a by default. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even if I say that I'm a lawyer, are you an agent? Oh, dear. Are you an agent? Uh, no, no, no. We don't need a lawyer. We need an agent. Yeah. It's, it's become a synonymous yeah. so much with this one agencies and kind of a things that mm -hmm. it, 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 I mean, it is. And yes, I do struggle with that one because the people take me as an agent as well. The perceptions of the Prashant Ajmera and associates as a lawyer, even though I'm here since last 30 years, same office, same things. And we have been providing a very good service and good advice to people from the very beginning. But unknown person, when they come to us, they think that I'm an agent. Yeah. And, and you know, at the age, I mean, now after 30 years of practice, I said, look, if I have to prove myself and give you my whole spiel that who am I, it's not worth it. Yeah, true. Right. So now I said that, okay, you want to meet me? These are my fees. Pay in advance, then only I'll come and see. He said, yeah. why? Because I said, I'm a lawyer. You want a free advice? Accept me, go to across India, they will provide a free advice. And people do pay. Now they understood, like th this morning I was talking to a client. He came from Bombay and he says that I'm looking for an US. I said, I want to come and meet you. I said, 5,000 rupees. Yeah. He says, okay, I'll pay you. So they do. Some days get offended. Oh, everybody provides free services. Why you are asking? I said, well, that's the difference, right? So um, just coming back to the question how you would you would uh, recommend that while they are in law school they just focus on the basics yes yes the basic the understanding of the law civil laws criminal laws yeah uh, the constitutional laws yeah all those things are necessary and then see the, in any country you go it's an immigration act and the regulations underneath there are judgments are there so you are now focusing your practice on that one area. Even if you look at the Indian law, now we have an Indian uh, uh, the Citizenship Act and the various notification for a various visa. And if you look at the Supreme Courts or various high court judgments on this one, the number of judgments are there on that one. 
we have this one, but we have never gone into that kind of a practice in India to do this one. And generally, we have avoided those ones as a legal fraternity in India has avoided those practice. Few lawyers are doing it. Generally, it happens with the uh, lawyers with the uh, criminal practice and they will take care of those ones and so and so forth. Mm. But it hasn't gone into the as a mainstream practice to yeah. represent the clients. Like some many times the foreign citizens come and ask me questions that this is what we are doing and now we want to extend our visas and so and so forth. How do we do it? And I said, look, we don't get involved into that practice. We don't have a lawyer. I just advise them and say, go to the FRO office and do it yourself. No, 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 we need a lawyer. I said, probably you can try a couple of lawyers whom I know that they do casually this kind of a practice, but not as a major practice or major things. But yes, there is a lot of things can be done. It can be developed. And it's both ways, right? No doubt the practice is there in India as well. But how many people want to go abroad from India? And you can provide a tons of service to them. I mean, these immigration agents and consultants are having a practice because we are, as a lawyer, we are not taking an interest into that one. And they are becoming entrepreneurs and businessmen. So he says, okay, we do the student visas and we do the ticketing for you and we do this for you. And we apply for a visitor visa as well. I mean, the so student visas and all kinds of visas. Even like travel agent has become like that one as well. They do the ticketing. And then they'll say, okay, we fill up the, or help you to fill up the form in those early days I'm talking about and get you a, visa, a visitor visas and this one. And no, even, even now. You, uh, but see, it's continued. Yeah. See, the, if you look at the last 60 years of our practice in India with the immigration and visa, that you go to the travel agents and he says, okay, my ticket banado. So he made a ticket for you. He says, okay, at that time used to be a two sheet paper for US B1, B2 visa. You fill up that forms. And then you go and stand in the line. That used to be the case at the Gulabai Road, right? So you're standing in that one and the guy says, well, I don't know how to do it. Can you help me to fill up? So that guy will fill up and then ch start charging that. Then you do it. When it become an online in 2008 or 10, then it becomes a more complicated for people to fill up the forms and then you need a more help. And the filling of that form of DS-160 for a student visas or visitor visa itself is an art. And I have turned around a lot of cases just by filling up that form very nicely. Mm. Because the officer is looking at your form only. Mm. And if you do not complete that form properly, he doesn't have a time to ask you 10 questions and approve your visa. And that is again an art of drafting. So for, uh, for someone who's, sorry, uh, go on. Go ahead, go ahead. No, I was saying for someone who is looking to pivot into immigration law now, a, a practicing lawyer, what would you tell him or her? Like, how would you, uh, how can they start a career? Because it seems like it will be starting a career all over from, from, well, from it, the beginning. Depending on their client base, obviously they're not going to move from their complete practice from whatever they're doing to the immigration. Uh, but if they have a good client base, then they should start looking into this one that how they can provide the services uh, to them and then tell them that, okay, we have a lawyer who can help them to do advice or so and so forth. And then you have a couple of junior lawyers who are talking to them and advising them on different issues of the immigration matters and so and so forth. And then carve out your practice, you know, like even if you say, for example, even with the big law firms in India, when they start practicing in certain areas, then they will hire a one or two lawyers who has an expertise or so and so. And then 
they provide that okay now we have a merger and acquisition sections in our <coughs> law firm and they will provide a service similarly these i won't say big law firms but small and medium sized law firm should start looking into this ones and have a one or two lawyers who can say that okay we provide this services probably affiliations with the law firms and the there are two type of immigration practices are there right one is for the indian companies and people who wants to go abroad right and then their executives are going from here so or, that or what about what about companies who want to set up abroad is yes, that something also saying. yeah not so just that, uh, the employees who are going but then incorporate them in yeah, another so country. not it comes after that right it both is a part of the same law the liberalized remittance schemes liberalized remittance schemes is divided into two part that if you are a company operating in india and you want to make an investment outside then this is the route you take a the liberalized remittance scheme for the indian citizen is the 250000 dollars so even if the indian company who wants to go out and set up their companies they need the help of the setting up a company setting up a business license permits and eventual visa now all this work is not provided by the indian company so what happens is that indian company will go out to that particular country find a lawyer there and do their work because we cannot provide a service here like yesterday i met a uh, 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 one of the companies they are listed on stock market and he says that we want to take our companies to canada how do we do it there are retail franchises are there that okay we want to set up our uh, restaurants in america how do we do it and that's where the point in time the lawyers and the chartered accountants both can pay up play very good but we do not want to take an interest into that one i have seen now few cas and couple of lawyers are now helping indian company to set up a business in singapore or in dubai but still it is not in a big way they have taken out their own nation they just stick with the one countries like recently we have been appointed by the uh, dubai uh, one of the free trade zone rasal khaima as their service provider so now if you want to set up your company in dubai we can do the company registrations license permits medical and the issuance visa can be done from here so as a law firm we are authorized by them to do this one so these kind of practices is there but again coming back to same thing we don't take an interest into that one we don't want to go more into this one and then the agents and consultants are providing services otherwise opportunities are tremendous you know i don't know whether we don't take an interest or we just don't know i think we just don't know because like i mentioned to you before we started that other than the spelling i didn't know anything about immigration law everything right. that you're telling me today seems wow there is a world out there that we have not uh, you know we have not explored in yeah. and through college nobody talks about this exactly how, how so, do you how do you handle the you know you mentioned this in passing how do you handle the uh, the clients or the and the sentiment of the crowd that says that why should i go to a lawyer why should i go to you know why should i abhi agent hai na main kyu jaau koi problem to nahi hai now it used to be a challenge but now people are realizing that going to an agent doesn't make a sense because they are not regulated and when people search for a website now i see from when people are calling it are you an immigration lawyer or are you an agent or an agent or yesterday like one guy sent a whatsapp message at 12 o'clock in the night 
do you provide a service for us immigration then are you associated with the us immigration law firm so that awareness is started coming. coming because they are getting a feedback from their friends and relatives from abroad ki bhaiya yahan pe aana hai to koi immigration lawyer ko hi dhoondna hmm. another uh, uh, guy called me four days back he says that my sister is ready to sponsor me and i need to complete the form can you help me i said certainly i can do it it's an f4 category of visa and you have to complete the i130 form but i said i'm not a right person i'll tell you very honestly your sister should hire an immigration lawyer in usa or if you want i can introduce you to the one he says no they are charging too much that's why we don't want to do it so i say i'll do it but i will not do it for free and i will not do it for like a 1000 rupees so we have a fees as well so now they are getting a feedback from there plus the crowd students who has gone from here in india after reaching there they started realizing it that now they are giving a feedback to their peers back in india to their friends to their families and everything that if you want to get the work done go to a immigration lawyer so it has changed in very recent past i won't say 5 years back it was a bad situation but when more and more people started having a problems visa being rejected or they've gone on a student visa they got the masters degree but now they are struggling to get their green card and then they come to us and then they realize that wish we would have taken this advice before and then the word goes out to the people right now 1.2 million 1.2 million people are waiting for green card those who have gone on a study permit in us i think i'll easily know 1000 of them <laughs> exactly so no, i'm sure all of us will but so so that's why the my practice now if you look at my book is the first thing we see is how to plan for your child's foreign education and settlement mm mm-hmm. Let's talk about these things further. See where we are going. No, 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 no. Fine, go ahead. If you want to listen to me, then we do it. Mm. Uh, you know another thing that uh, nowadays because of the startup culture in India, a lot of companies. I was uh, speaking to somebody yesterday evening, and they were talking about how countries like in the UAE, maybe Dubai was a really attractive country for many Indians and other people around the world to settle for various reasons. And I believe now Qatar is coming up as a very uh, attractive destination. If you want, if you Which want, one? Qatar, Qatar, Qatar. Okay. So now uh, for someone who wants to sort of set up their business in a country outside India for whatever reasons tax uh, better legislations some investment into your business do you have because of your practice uh, any tips not a tips i have a whole practice you have a whole, whole practice. practice yes whole practice yeah i have a one domain name or a website which is part of my website it's called startupgoingglobal.com okay uh, let me give you a background on that one that was the startup founder was the one category of professionals and people or a business, uh, entrepreneurs whom we could not help for the immigrations and visa services because there was no provisions in any country in the world that how this will happen the canada was the first country that did a pilot project between the government of canada and government of chile to bring these certain startup from chile to canada based on that one in again in october 1990 uh, uh, 2013 the canadian government come up with the startup visa program 
that if you are a founder anywhere in the world, you if you think that you have a brilliant idea, pitch to government approved incubation center or government approved venture capital or government approved angel investors. If they endorse your idea, we will give you a permanent immigration with family. Now, that's basically open up the door all over the world for every country to come up with this startup visa idea. So the, what you hear in Dubai and Qatar is the last in a line. There are 27 countries right now offering this startup visa program. Starting with the Canada, Australia, New Zealand, UK, Portugal, Spain, Greece. European Union has given a mandate to all the European countries that as a part of your visa regime, you should have a startup visa program to bring the world talent to our country. Learning from that, the Qatar and Dubai adopted that law. They are not the first one. But again, the startup culture here in India is different than what is happening in the world. But yes, we do provide service in that area. We do help the real startup if they want to go. In any of these countries, we can help them. But most of the time what happens, Jenna, is that we get the companies, they want a marketing service from us. It's not a brilliant idea. Plus, we are a law firm. We don't have a time, money, and energy to listen to their ideas. For them, it's a brilliant idea. But I cannot spend and listen to them for two hours and then do my due diligence for 10 hours and say it's a good idea or a bad idea, right? So obviously we charge fees and the startup culture in India is that everything should be free to us. We are just a student, we are struggling. No, I mean, we cannot provide service. And because they do not want to pay for our services they do not provide the services, they go in circles. They cannot take these opportunities which is available to them. And to be honest with you, I have miserably failed working with the startup community in India. I'm doing it since 2013. Startup buzzword is recent. 2013, I'm doing it, the startup visa program and it started Canadian government. And the Canadian Ryerson University made a joint venture with the Dalal Streets. And on top of the Dalal Streets Tower, they have a Canadian incubation center, which was inaugurated by the Canadian immigration minister. And I was part of that panel and presenter one of the, that place. Even in vibrant Gujarat, we presented this idea of the startup visa in Canada. And so many country has come from the different parts of the world to promote the startup ideas, but we live in a different world here. And when we talk about the startup, they wanted a free ride. Yeah, the government people will get you a free ride. Now, here people get confused. They think that they made a direct connections with the trade commissioners or the consular generals of the particular country. We don't need a lawyer or an advisor to do it. Now, they do not understand that their job is to provide a basic information and create a curiosity in your mind. Then they will say that, okay, for legal advice to process, if you think that you cannot process it, take a help of the immigration lawyer or a business advisor. These people are going to charge that you don't want to pay. 
and that I have faced with the hundreds and hundreds of startup uh, with whom I talked to and everything, and then I basically stopped. Sorry, I I don't have that kind of a time to talk to and listen to your good or stupid idea. This seems to be the trend that almost every person on the podcast speaks about, and and I've also faced it that uh, people just don't want to pay for legal advice in any field. Like right. uh, in your case, it's startups, and I completely empathize with what you're saying. But in everyday life, also, why do we need you? You know, I don't want to pay. Yeah, exactly. You so call me, and you say, "Oh, what do I do? Blah, blah, blah. You're you're in a hurry, or you know." And then you right. you want to help that person because you know it's a, there's a sense of urgency, but money never comes back. So right, exactly. So and, and that's why uh, people suffer it. Some people mm-hmm. make it. Some, most of the people are suffering it. Yeah. Like the, the the ideal examples. Let's talk about the general crowd. With this student visa practice, what is happening in India? These agents and consultants providing services could be a perfect for a certain class of people. but i have a problem with certain class of people if you are a engineer from in india physiotherapist dentist uh, pharmacist qualified degree holder why do you want to go and study in foreign country and, and in a diploma because these agents are selling you this one as a masters degree and pg dbm there is nothing like that it is a completely mis sell 10 billion dollar scam but people don't understand once they reach there then they realize it too late that's the difference why do you before you implement any project why this multinational company spends a crores of rupees in project report you do your heart surgery do you go to the operation theater and says doctor i'm sleeping do my heart surgery no you go through the tons of test you go through the analysis you consult the other doctors and they said do you really need it if you need it or not so and so so when it comes to the immigration and your educations your foreign educations and settlement you want to end up going to this agent and consultant who has a no clue and surprise surprise half of the consultants are those who have been cheated by other consultants so they are out to cheat somebody else Yes, he says this is the nice way to do the business. I went to Australia and I realized it, that people has a dream to come to Australia or Canada. Let me go back and start my immigration practice. Obviously, on this podcast, I cannot name it, but I can name all the consultants and everybody. Oh, and yes. I know everybody's story because they all have come after me, and I know how they are practicing and their practice is booming. it's booming they have a 20 offices 30 offices around the world around the indias they have international offices and so and so forth for them every client every person walking in their office is a potential client get the money from him put it in a bottles and get him out of here squeeze the money that's the business model how can you as an immigration consultant or an agent can have a budget of 2 crore rupees in an advertisement Okay, I have one uh, one last question in this segment before we move on to the final uh, the fun segment. But uh, you know, we y- you have a very wide exposure not just to Indian law but to Canadian law and to various other legal systems because of the nature of your practice. 
what do you think are some of the uh, good and bad things about our juris uh, you know generally uh, our legal system and what are the ways that you think we can we can positively contribute uh, i can speak from the both sides the one side is from the government sides the government sides if you look at the high courts and supreme courts 70% litigations are against the government article 226 32 14 right so if the government officers takes the decisions using their discretionary power the litigation will reduce drastically but nobody wants to do that they say let the court do it let the somebody else do it if i approve it my senior will say what did you do why did you do it probably they will ask me that have i taken a bribe so for easiest thing for me to do is deny the right to the citizens whether it's an individuals or a company and that's the cultures we have it in our government departments in everywhere and that's why we have a 70 to 80% litigations in indian courts is because of that the second part on coming to the indian citizenship sides if i would say if you start something a company or uh, or your trading business or manufacturing units why don't you take a help of a lawyer and a chartered accountant and get all your license and permit in a place No. So I think that's the basic things what I've seen in a difference that in, in Canada, in USA, UK, I've seen it. If you want to start even a small, uh, you can say uh, the coffee shop, the person will say that do I do sole proprietorships or do I do the private limited company or LLC? What do I do? what are my licenses what are the permits i have to take and it's not that in india we don't have it we have that one but the government doesn't want to implement it let him break it and then we will break him no but i don't think it's only the government i think your earlier point was correct in the sense that jab dhanda hoga to dekh lenge dekh le the same thing it's like 20 lakhs uh, gst we have a gst uh, requirement Limit. yeah Ma mandatory gst filing if your earnings is beyond 20 lakhs Uh, in a financial year so you don't have a gst number till that's fine that's a choice that you make in terms of your tax planning but then you don't even register your company you don't even have a company till the point time that you probably get to the 20 lakh limit and then you need to pay you know gst or whatever and, 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 and in that respect the biggest flaw i see in our company law which is like you recently heard about these chinese companies and the chartered accountants and lawyers were involved in registering the companies and what has happened right now the if you look at the indian company law the only thing they are doing is that the your structure and the directors what they are doing then minorities protections rights and everything you can write a general consulting and advising business we are going to do it and it's a wide open i can cheat somebody and that is also consulting right so that there is a big i means loophole in our company law that when you register a company why don't we ask 
category wise using the harmonized coding system which is an international standard that what exactly you going to do you manufacture this you advise on this area you advise on this area why not no you keep it wide open let the people do the violations and then we'll go after them like if you want to register a company in a dubai they have a probably more than 5000 codes and they have given a like a one paragraph of descriptions that what you can do in these services and we are giving you a license only for doing that business you want to do something else come and get an another license and pay the another fees in in india at any level we don't have that one when it comes to the delivering the services and the uh, provide the services to the people yeah if i'm manufacturing a chemicals there is a whole list of licenses there but when it comes to the consulting services management services and this and that anything and everything you can include including this immigration and visa one of the top immigration law firm of usa has incorporated their company in india and doing the practice as an immigration visa consultant in bangalore why our law firm the uh, registrar of companies didn't ask them a com uh, company that what business you're going to do it because that law firm knows that as a foreign law firm i cannot practice in india so they got the hold of a people there incorporated a company now they are running the full immigration us immigration practice in bangalore you go to the bar council of india they want to take any actions no it's a very small things we don't want to do it so the indirectly more and more lawyers particularly immigration lawyers are coming and even the non immigration lawyers the companies who are doing the immigration practice are entering into in india as we speak in the last two years i have seen a lot of them coming because they incorporate a company in india says so as a lawyer we cannot practice incorporate a company then we'll say we're going to provide a, uh, consulting services finished consulting services such a big wide world you can do anything and everything yeah thank you for all this in fact i'm i'm my my brain is like working i'm just trying to process everything that you said because it's true we uh, most of what you said was completely new information to me uh, and i hope that it will be useful information even to those who are listening in a way that spurs them to do something the last point i want to make mm. is the one of the questions you didn't ask i don't know whether you going to ask about the going abroad for a study as a lawyer you are on mute vijana sorry i didn't ask because i thought we'd skip through because i i still have some more questions that i want to ask you and you like, were very you were giving do it one line answers don't do it <sighs> because unless you want to come back and practice in india then it's a different story just last week one client came and i advised them not to do it because the reason is that say for example you go to you uh, uk to do your bachelor's degree in law and i have cases i'm telling you from the truth now there you do not have a uk permanent residency so you cannot practice as a solicitor or barrister there you come back here the indian bar councils or the state bar council will not recognize your foreign degree so you cannot practice here so here is your answer 
Why you want to go and study four years law in a foreign country where you cannot practice there? So either you should thought that how I'm going to get my immigration in foreign country or you decide that how you're going to do it here. See, there are some people like would be, I would say, Justice Chandrachud. Like I was uh, reading his biography recently and he has gone to USA, but he was coming from a legal background. He was very clear that I'm going to go come back here and practice. And he is a person at the intellectual levels at an altogether different level, right? You listen, uh, read his all the judgments and everything. So if you have that kind of a background and that kind of a things to do it, because in the four months, three months, he'll be the CGI of India, right? And he'll be there for 28 months as a chief justice. And it would be very interesting time to see in two and a half years how many judgments he delivers and what he comes up with. And he will be the first judge of Supreme Court of in India where the father was a CGI and now he's a CGI. So then it's a different story. But if you say that, okay, I finished my law degree here, for integrated degree, which is again a new word, and now I want to go and study law. Don't do that, please. Stay here, get your practice done if you want to pursue this one. Or if you really want to get out of the country for whatever the reasons, then don't go and do the law, do something else. Or basically I would say, if you need a professions in which you need a license, then don't do it. No doctor, no lawyer. None Doctors, of lawyers, civil engineers, uh, the dentist, pharmacist, physiotherapist, or you figure it out that first, how I'm going to get my license and how I'm going to get my immigration. Yeah. These are the two important questions to ask. Yeah. And unfortunately, I have seen across India in the private law schools, the uh, webinars and seminars are happening. The foreign law colleges are coming to recruit the students. Mm -hmm. And you are putting your heart on money of your parents and burning them in the nightlight for nothing. You're not going to gain anything out of it mm -hmm. unless you have a plan mm -hmm. that, yes, I have an immigration. This is how I'm going to use it. Mm -hmm. So like I was speaking at one of the universities, uh, again, on immigration law. And this girl came and says, I want to go and study human rights in Canada. This was her straight questions. I said, what do you know about the human right law in India? She says, nothing. So I said, then what are you going to get out of in Canada? Because this kind of law will help you, certainly will help you in Canada. But first, understands our constitutions, our fundamental rights, where it is being violated, and how it is being protected in Canada or in other jurisdictions then it makes a sense that when you are arguing your case or you are making your presentations that these type of law, the fundamental rights in our countries are being violated, but it's protected in Western countries like this one. But you don't know your own law and then you want to go and study. That means you are confused, basically, I would say. And as a lawyer means you are always a student, be open to it all the time. That's a really good uh, point and really good tip, actually. I should, Thank I'm going to take that separately and release it uh, sometime, really. <laughs> okay, now we are with our last segment. It's a really fun segment just to get to know you a little bit uh, and, uh, for, and, and for us to get a little more advice from you, more than what we've already got. We are already way over time, so I'm very sorry about that. Uh, no problem. 
So five. So this this section is called five, four, three, two, one. I ask you five of something, four of something, three of something, yeah. all that. So five productivity tips uh, that you would like to give anyone. See, uh, you know, I come from an age. I'm sixty. Uh, when I started, finish my law schools, the computers were one lakh rupees and fifty thousand. My peers and my some of the colleagues are now high courts and Supreme Court judges. Like two judges sitting in Supreme Court right now were my colleague who started practice with me. But over the period of time, somehow I kept up with the technology. So I'm very up to date with the technology using it. And it has helped me tremendously. Now, if you go on my website right now, ajmeralaw.com, I just implemented the AI intelligence. So you oh, can lovely. go and chat with my virtual legal assistant. Her name is Maya and get some answers to your basic questions and so and so forth. So I, so the keeping with the technology is very important. The second thing is, which culturally it's different professionally here, but I've traveled the world and interacting with international lawyers is my time management. Uh, here, most of the people are plan their day. My planning is always at least a week, two weeks, or three weeks, or four weeks. So I have very actively used my calendar on my mobile phone and on my uh, computers to schedule the meetings because I work in the always two, three time zones. So in the night, I'm talking to lawyers in America or in Canada or in Europe in the afternoons. So I need a calendars and I go by schedules. You can't walk into my office and say, I want to see you. So that's how I do it. And I try to do many things at a time, but the time management is very important. The other things I do is I'm not a big reader of the books, but I keep reading the news happening uh, on the social medias, on the uh, news channels and the other channels and everything. So like, lot of judgments and everything which comes up even though i'm not practicing so it's just curious and i keep reading it what is happening and listening to uh i mean so the biography is very interesting for me and curious mind is always like something comes in my mind or somebody asks questions if i don't have it i immediately go to the google and try to do a search and find out and one thing which I don't do it, I don't do the social media forwards. If you go to all my social media handles, there is no personal posting at all. It's all being used for the professional reasons and professional purpose. Even in my family, it's a law or it's our family constitutions. No personal family postings on social medias. That's so a very useful, useful law to have. Right. Yeah. And, and the most important things which I tell people is never to have a Gmail, Hotmail, and Yahoo account if you are building your brand. Since 1988, 1998, I'm using the domain names email. So it used to be before uh, pajmer at canadaimmigrationvisa.com. When my practice here become a general, then I have an Ajmera law. So it's prashant at ajmeralaw.com. I, I do have need to have a Gmail and Hotmail since many years I'm using it, but it is in the back end. But to create my impression, professionalism, it's always ajmeralaw.com. And that's how I work. Because otherwise, like you have a big 
business cards coming from a big law firms and then you say yeah lawyer so and so at the rate gmail.com what is this it's a lack of professionalism yeah i see what you mean so uh, but by by when you mentioned reading biographies you gave me a nice little segment to the next question which is four books that you would recommend anyone to read again as, as i said that i'm i'm not a big reader uh, like a taking a book and i read it which my wife is doing it but she reads fictions and all these ones but one of the book i read uh, which is still very relevant for the people is how to win friends and influence people by del carnegie and that book i have read when i was young so many times again and again and again and i always find it something new something way in a different way to handle with the people work with the people understand the people's psychologies and mind frames and then how you put up across and things and he has given a tons of real tips on that one so that's the one book which i have done it the second book i have read is when i was going through very difficult times when i was in canada is obviously satyana prayog by mahatma gandhi so that's the second book which is done and the two very famous my our times mythology is mahabharat and ramayana i have read not read it but seen those serials again and again so many times and every time it just gives me a goosebumps and now obviously when i was young i was looking at the time pass now when i look at it i can always come up with the different meanings and different things and so many relevant things which changes at your time and perspective in a life when yes. you are at the 60 yeah. i'll give you an example of recently you know during this covid time we had this mahabharat serial going on and then krishna's came killing the uh, uh, this uh, dronacharyas and the uh, uh, it's uh, the bhishma pitama and then you listen to the his dialogues when he asked the questions why did you kill me and that gives a perspective in your life at this point in time that whatever you do in the life what did you do for the society for the people and that's what he said to the uh, to the bishma uh, pitama because of your pratigya you didn't take an interest or you didn't came to the rescue even though you had a power capacity and everything you didn't came to the rescue of the normal people of your kingdom and that's why and he immediately accepts it says yes you are right krishna the same thing he did it with the guru dronacharya when he killed guru dronacharya and he says why did you kill me he says that you are not a teacher you are a dabba on a teachers why because teachers job is to teach people but somebody insulted you your rest of your life was gone in taking a revenge against the kings and everybody you made teach all your teaching to arjuna so he can take a revenge against the certain kings with whom you had a problems he says are you a teacher that's not the definition of a teacher so that perspective which i saw that one 30 years back or 20 years back didn't have it but these two books are always fascinates me 
uh, or rather listening to me or whenever there is an episodes and you know that tons of things is written i'm nowhere near to it to compare and talk about it people talk about the management people talk about the life lessons and everything so these two things people should lead read it or listen to it at a different point in time because your maturity level changes and you will come to know the different meanings very true i completely agree some somebody else in the podcast one of our earlier guests had mentioned the same thing she said now that she's reading to her children uh, all of these mythological stories right she's uh, appreciating it in a totally different way different, different perspective yeah different perspective. that's true uh, okay three tips that you would like to give current law students or young graduates uh, on their legal career first most important part is the three idiot stories do you really like law just because you think that you're going to make a big careers and lawyer makes lot of money so i want to go there that doesn't help find out yourself first you like the law and if you really like the law then stay in this field otherwise don't stay in this field because you're not going to do good to it because some lawyers are making a 1 lakh rupees an appearance in the high courts and i can make that one but you listen to their stories that how much energy time money and energy they put it into the reach to that level right so but the any professions or anything you go into it first you should like it i didn't like the litigation part i like the law but when immigration came and then i excel into it over the period of time and i learn a lot and still more a lot to learn means so or you can never learn everything right so there is more always lot to learn but the my analytical mind of the legal brain helped me to become excel in this immigration field which i hated going to the litigation courts and running around and all those things i could not take that tensions or that kind of running around but giving an advice to people so first of all you should like it and if you like it then first understand the fundamentals of the law because law is all about the maturity and wise decision nothing else the law is all about the maturity and wise decisions that what the wise men say that's all we have codified in the our constitutions and all the act and rules and regulations so do you have that kind of a maturities or how can you develop that and if you develop that one then as a lawyer you will be very successful unfortunately jina what happens is that because of this five years integration law many students or most of the students are not up to the maturity level what the legal field will require and that's why by the time they finish they get frustrated so much and then they realize that okay this is something not for me you put your five years of your time money and energy into this one and then you realize that okay mujhe kuch aur karna hai it's fine but so the, the important thing is to do is to do you really like it and it could be any other field means my three children are not in a legal field they are pursuing something else but my question to them was always do you like it if you don't like it don't do it my older daughter was confused between becoming a lawyer or becoming a diplomat so he went for the law two years he did a means uh, i said go and work so she worked in a law firm in montreal in canada for two years as a paralegal and then she went to the law school and she didn't get an admission into that and she was very crying oh didn't uh, my career is ruined and my thing is done and i'm this. i said look even though you are a good student i know you could not crack it 
and get your admission because you really didn't like it. If you would have liked it, you would have excelled it. And that's what the admission officer didn't see in you. And that's exactly what happened that she started now. She's finished her master's degree into the international relationships and the career, uh, means uh, the international economics and uh, careers. I means government policy, sorry. And she immediately got the internship with the government of Canada. And now she's a permanent employee with the government of Canada in the Department of Commerce. So it's a liking that, and now she likes this one that, okay, I, she's a quiet kind of a girl who likes the nine to five jobs and she likes a lot of desk work and research works and do it. And now she's producing the excellent work for the government job that her reports are being published and she's very happy with that. So it's ultimately at the end of the day for any professions, anything you do, I mean, sometimes in a joke, I say that if you are a good actors, you can be a beggar and make your money. So, but the choose that what you like about it. The second, second advice I give it to them is that if you want to be an international perspectives and those kind of a practice, become a member of the IBS or those kind of an international associations. But is it easy to become a member of the IBA or is it yeah. hard? Pay is the it? Money. <laughs> That's it. It's, it's not a licensing body. It's a professional body. Like our bar, not bar associations, but lawyers associations. So you just pay two hundred dollars or three hundred, uh, uh, I think two seventy-five uh, sterling pound, and you can become an yearly membership. You can go to their annual conference. There's a tons. I think that website is one of the biggest legal websites in the world to get the information, connect, and network. I have attended at least about five or six their international conference. You have a 3,500 to 4,000 lawyers there at that time for five days in different parts of the world. And that's the ideal platform to pick up the different law. Like say, for example, you are interested in intellectual property, merger and acquisitions, corporate. The top lawyers from the big law firms are coming there and making a presentations. So you exchange your cards, learn from that one. How I have learned immigration law, by going to the IBA conference, listening to these lawyers, exchanging the cards, and then obviously the internet and all those things help you to learn that one. Because certain things you can learn in a law schools, but these things you can learn and create your network by going to this conference. This educational conference are your biggest lifelong teacher, which most of the lawyers do not want to accept it do not want to understand it. In India, how many law conference we have it? None. We do not have it. Bar Council is completely sleeping. They are not interested in doing anything. So, if, I mean, even we have so many lawyers in, in the world, the only way I can learn my more, sharpen my skill as a lawyer by becoming a junior lawyer to somebody in some law firm. Can I go to a law conference in India where the top lawyers are coming there and making a presentation, judges are coming there and making a presentation, giving us skills and a workshops? No, we don't have that one. Whereas in Canada, in USA, I have seen 
the CBA, Canadian Bar Associations, many active associations. I'm not a member of that. Obviously, I'm, I don't have a license from Canada. But our lawyers with whom I've done, they have a very active uh, membership. And in that membership, they learn a lot of things about from their peers, from their lawyers. Oh, Prashant, this year, I'm going to go and learn about this immigration law. Where these immigration lawyers in Canada are learning they are learning from their other colleagues that these are the new rules and regulations of this one. Same thing, ELA, American Immigration Lawyers Associations. Fabulous, fantastic website is being shared by all the immigration lawyers, their articles, their webinars. And it's a learning tool for the whole fraternity. We do not have any of this one in India. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, two life lessons that you have learned, which you would like to share with everyone. Two life lessons. One is honesty. Very, very important. That whatever the advice you give, you may lose the person as a client right now. But if you've given him a right advice, he will learn he may not come back to you as a client, but he will go back and tell another 10 people that if you want to write advice, go to Prashant Ajmera or go to Gina. So that's very important in the service industries that immediately you feel like that. Are sala, client chala jayega, no. So you have to be consistent and that will over the period of time, it will help you. And the second second life lesson? Always treat others the way in which you like to be treated. We are not a big celebrities. We are not a big lawyers. We are not an Amitabh Bachchan or this one. But in our professions, in our personal life, we come across number of people at all levels. Chokidar se leke Be nice to all of them. And that's the kind of things I, I mean, I'm not a running a Tata Sons charity, but the mantra which I give it to my children and I do it is people who are around me, be respectful to them, respect their whatever level they are. So that's the second things I do. Both are very useful uh, life lessons you've shared. Huh? Truly, yeah. truly something that people don't talk about much, but and, and completely underestimate the power of. Yeah, see, I'll give you an example of in my street here. We have a lot of traffic problems and people come there. There are about eight or nine chokidars are there in this our street, right? They know that I stand up for them. Now, they don't go back to their employer. They will come to me. They're Prashant bhai, ye jagda kar raha hai, jara help kar do na. Ye kar raha hai, help kar do na. It's as simple as that. It's nothing, something I'm doing that extraordinary for them or anything, but they know that, okay, if somebody is coming and abusing them, then I stood up to them that, okay, he's a chokidar, he's just making a bare minimum. And if somebody is just arguing with them and abusing them, you have to go and stand up there, right? A few mm -hmm. times I've, I've gone to the police stations with them and file a complaint as well. Wow, how nice. <laughs> and finally, the best advice that you have ever received. One advice which I have received from my uncle as a lawyer. When, when you are a young lawyer, you know, what you do is start reading the law books and reading these ones and this one and everything. 
and the oh, I think you have some cough or something. Ha! I've been sick through the week. Actually, uh, I don't know. Okay, mm. take take care. Uh, so my uncle said that if you are a lawyer, one of the skill you should develop is get your facts right. The art of getting the facts right is a very important aspect of your legal practice. If you put your facts right in front of the anybody, whether it's a judge or a person or anybody, law will take care of itself. If your facts is not right, then it would be twisted by somebody else. Judge will understand something else. So, and that has helped me a lot in my immigration practice as well. Then when person walks in, Mujhe Canada jana hai. So the first things my brain doesn't work. I spend sometimes two minutes, sometimes five minutes, ten minutes, but I want to get their facts in front of me in my sheet of paper or a form. And then ask them, what is your goal? He says, okay, now I got it, everything. Now start shooting questions and what do you want to hear from me? So getting the facts is very right. And I'm using it like on a daily basis that if you get your facts right, it would work wonder for you in any profession. In any in any field, in any decision making that you do. Yes, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. So thank you so much for today. I think I can keep talking to you because you have so much to share. And I have so many questions. I'll probably, if you're okay, you can come back on the podcast because we'll do a round two. So we have so many more to... Well, if you have a questions coming, I don't know what would be your audience and how does it yeah. go and where you are getting it. But yes, I can do that one. The another subject which I would like to speak is the new act which has come in India, which is called the Organ Donations and Tissue Transplant Act mm. of 1994. Mm. And the regulation made under that one in... 2014 mm. and uh, recently in the last three months four months i've done a lot of research on that one okay sure. that is something very interesting very subject yeah and actually we are contemplating of doing the pil to the supreme court because of the integrities and things what has been done okay so if this is if you think that this is the kind of a subject would be interest to your audience yeah in understanding that where we are going and what we should do it and so I'll be happy to speak on that subject sure. as well. I think we, we'll be more than happy to listen to you on any subject because you seem to have a very deep understanding of the subject that you pick up. But in case people want to follow you because you mentioned social media handles and so on, uh, where can they follow you? Where can Because I'm sure people will have a lot of questions to ask you. Ajmeralaw.com is my website. Hmm. And my all the handles are the same, this Ajmera thing. Law Group. Okay. So whether you take the Facebooks, Twitters, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube, and the Instagram. Uh, I do not manage it. Uh, it's managed by an outsourced company. But yes, I do keep a tab on that one. And as I said, I keep up to date with the technology. So, uh, but all the handles are the same things. Ajmera Law Group, uh, everything is there. Okay. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.